Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Mike Cornett from Cornett Violetta Architects. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Oh, my pleasure. It's Violetta Architects. Violetta. Everybody gets it wrong. Good. We're going to have a, we're going to have a fun show today. Before we get started, let me tell everyone about some of the things that are coming up. We have for next week's show, we have a nationwide noted author, David Burkus who is going to talk about and help us identify and dispel the myths of creativity. That's that's a good guy to follow you because architects are always creative. Absolutely. Right. And then we're not going to have any show on December 27th, and our first show of the new year will be on January 3rd. We're going to have Larry Holsheder from uh, True Staff. Then we're going to have Debbie Bowman from Boys Hope and Girls Hope. And then we're going to have Frank Wood. He's going to be talking about his stress reduction process and company on the 17th of January. And then a real interesting, fun guy named Joe O'Gorman, who owns Full Throttle Karting on the, looks like the 24th of January. Okay. For Sandler, we will have a new Sandler Foundations program starting on January 13th, 2014. We're trying something new this year. We're going to promote both the Cold Call Camp and the Sandler Foundations program in January on livingsocial.com. So if you want a special deal, take a look at livingsocial.com for these two programs. Mike, how did you become an architect? Oh, Lord. Everybody asks that question, and a lot of it goes back to being a little kid playing with Lincoln Logs, uh, and of course the uh, the Legos, and uh, if anybody remembers um, the famous Mr. Ed. That was a talking horse. That was, and his owner was an? Oh, he was an architect. He was an architect. Yeah, okay. So I just dated myself there, but those are some of the the early starts. I was afraid you were going to say talking Ed the horse told you to be an architect. (laughs) Well, that might have happened. Might have happened, okay. Uh, and did you start out in architecture here in the uh, Cincinnati market? Yes, I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio, moved down here to go to school at UC, mm-hmm. very well-known and um, very excellent architectural school, and six years, and yep, it used to be six years, now everything's been changed, but at that time it was a six-year program. Yeah, the architecture test is uh, is one of the hardest tests I've ever heard of. That, and everybody says it's as difficult as a CPA, um, even, although I'm not sure I agree, even as difficult as a bar exam, 
it's uh, four days of, well, three days of written tests, and the last day, the fourth day, is a 12-hour design test uh, where you basically start at 7 o'clock in the morning, and by 7 o'clock in the evening, you better have a complete set of drawings for a building. Mm. So where most people fail is in the design test. Sounds like it's a tough test. It was no fun, I'll tell you that. Well, it's also no good if a building falls down that you build. This is true, but that's why we have good structural engineers. Okay, to double-check the work. Uh, to actually do the work that we don't do oh. or don't do well. Okay, I was an engineer in school, in electrical engineering, and 65% was the passing grade. Mm -hmm. But my friends who were civil engineers, their passing grade was 100%. Exactly. Right. I'd feel great at a 70, and <laughs> they'd be crying at a 98. Yes, yes, indeed. You know, they didn't have a curve. In electrical engineering, we had a curve, <laughs> grading on the curve. How long has uh, your current firm been in existence? How did it come into existence, Mike? Well, I started practicing architecture about 30 years ago in the Cincinnati area. And about 20 years ago, the year my daughter was conceived, I decided to go out on my own and uh, did very well in small residential type projects, small commercial. And then about 12 years ago, a good friend of mine named Dean Violetta joined me. Mm -hmm. We have worked together. I've known him since the early 80s. Great guy. Uh, he joined me, and that formed Cornet Violetta Architects. And we've been going strong ever since. Okay. And what type of buildings or architectural work do you guys specialize in? Well, we try, we try hard to say we don't specialize. Mm -hmm. But our, our claim to fame is the Cincinnati Zoo. Over the last eight years or so, we've designed... Every animal exhibit, animal holding building, and every human holding building uh, in the zoo. So we've done quite a bit of work there. Uh, we've also are, are currently doing work at the Nashville Zoo, uh, Riverbank Zoo in South Carolina, looking at some work at the Pittsburgh Zoo, mm. and potentially in a year we may be online for work at El Paso Zoo. But we don't really want to be strictly zoo architects. You don't want to be known as a zoo guy. No. Well, I mean, it's not a bad thing to be known as, as long as that's not the only thing we're known as. Mm -hmm. um, we do commercial work for uh, multifamily, retail, uh, religious, restaurant, industrial, office, and we even do residential architecture. Most architects are either commercial or residential. Right. We do both. Interesting. You know, I've met a lot of architects in Cincinnati, commercial architects, mm -hmm. who when you suggest doing a residential project, you know, turn purple and say, well, we don't do that. That's that's below us. Exactly. And, and we're not snobs. I mean, we have done everything from the backyard deck from a, for a friend from church up to $15, $17 million projects. So we try to be very open-minded um, architecture should not be an ivory tower profession. Mm -hmm. It should be good design should be available to everyone. That's good. And how many people do you have in the firm? Uh, currently, we're at six. Okay. So we've got, um, and that's for architects. That's considered a medium-sized um, firm. Mm -hmm. A lot of the architectural firms are one and two guys mm -hmm. or one and two gals. And then the other extreme, of course, is the eighty to a hundred firm, the big boys, as we call them. So we're a nice medium-sized firm, and like I said, we do projects up to the $15, 17000000 million range. Mm -hmm. And 
when you do it, it's interesting. We had uh, Thane Maynard from the Cincinnati Zoo on oh, our sure. show. Excellent guy. Great guy. He did, mm-hmm. he did show number 100 with it. With okay. Me. And nobody's a better public speaker than him, or he's, very few people. He's really good. He was, yeah. It was a good show. If, if listeners haven't heard it, you can go back in the archives. It's still there. Okay. And the only request I made for Thane for that show is don't bring a, le- a leopard or a snake. <laughs> exactly. He's, he's been known to travel with the animals. Mm-hmm. In the last couple of years, what would you say the project that, that you designed was that you were the most proud of? Oh, well, I mean, typical thing for an architect, architect to say, we're, we're proud of every piece of work that comes out of the office. Mm-hmm. And again, not to be a zoo architect, I would say the entry, historic entry village on Vine Street for the Cincinnati Zoo. Mm-hmm. It's um, involved moving the main entrance of the zoo from the east side to the west side off of Vine Street. Yeah, taking the main entrance off of the uh, parking lot. Right, off of Drury, and moving it over to the new parking lot, uh, working with the civil engineers and landscape architects there, uh, building the building that takes you up 22 feet in the air so you can get on the bridge Mm -hmm. to cross over Vine Street, and then the ticketing and membership building, um, the stroller building, the the new main gift shop Mm -hmm. right there at the entry slash exit, which, of course, is just like a casino does it. You want to get those people going through the gift shop on the way out the door and the way in the door. Sure. Yep. So that's probably our our biggest and most well-known project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that came out really, uh, really good. Well, thank you. I was actually out at the zoo this, this summer. Oh. If we were going to ask, ask you about what was the unique marketing advantage that Cornette and Valletta bring to the, the marketplace, what what would that be? Um, our marketing advantage is really the reason people buy from us. It's personal attention. Every project, every project will receive either myself or Dean being at the table for every meeting. We don't handle projects by handing them down the, the ladder to mm-hmm. um, junior architects or others. Personal attention, high level of design, and thorough construction documents. A good set of construction documents will obviously help save money for the client and control costs during construction. If you've got a loosey-goosey set of documents on the site, it tends to really roll up the change orders, which really tends to anger the client. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our best referrals come from general contractors because they've seen our construction documents. They know what needs to be done. They know how to do it, and that obviously makes their life easier and makes a good project in the end. Do you supervise on-site construction as well as just drawing the documents up? Well, supervise for my liability company is a horrible word. We don't supervise and we don't inspect. Those are two things that, number one, aren't insurable, and number two, really get you in a whole lot of trouble. We do what is what is called construction administration, wherein periodically we visit the site We meet with the contractor and the appropriate subs. We tour the site to generally look at the level of construction to make sure it's in conformance with the construction documents, and then certainly uh, write a report for the owner so that they know that their money is being spent well. We review pay apps. We review change order requests, that type of thing. But certainly no supervision, no inspections. I see. Okay, and Mike has agreed to uh, take questions from our listeners. If you have a question, you can call in on 
646-595-4916. I'll give Mike one. We'll be screening those calls during the commercial breaks. Mike, you know, I'm going to tell our audience how I met you. Okay. Get ready. I met you at a tip club meeting that we held here last month. Mm-hmm. And after I heard about what you did, I said, yeah, i got to have you on the radio show. Well, I certainly appreciate that. And next week on the 19th of December, 7.30 a.m. to 9 a.m., we're going to have the last tip club meeting of the year. It's going to be here at our training center, 4357 Ferguson Drive. You can go out to the website, tipclub.com, click down on events, and pull down Cincinnati, register for your, uh, your free ticket. And with that, we're going to listen to Jimmy Fox from Tip Club talk about it. Go ahead, Jimmy, take it away. Hi, I'm Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. Tip Club is a professional networking organization whose members help each other succeed. We meet once per month and provide a forum where business-to-business professionals are able to connect with more desirable opportunities and build long-term strategic partnerships. I'm inviting Cincinnati Business Talk listeners to come to our free networking event. You'll have the opportunity to meet new people, share leads and referrals, and grow your business through strategic alliances. Membership in our Cincinnati group is open to only one person per specific trade or occupation. Business-to-business professionals only, please. We do not accept multi-level marketing or recruiting-driven memberships. This is our only group in Cincinnati. We'll meet on the third Thursday of the month from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, 4357 Ferguson Drive, Cincinnati, Ohio. To reserve a seat, please go to www.tipclub.com and click on the Events tab at the top of the page. Then, just scroll down the list until you come to the Cincinnati event. Or you may call 800-798-0270. That's 1-800-798-0270. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you at our next networking event. This is Mike Roth and Mike Cornett, and we're back live. So, Mike, if someone wants to get a hold of you after the show to talk about architecture or or issues or problems or opportunities, how do they do that? Well, the easiest way is to call me at the office at 221-6600. That's a 513 number. Uh, The other way, of course, is to email me, Mike at Cornett, C-O-R-N-E-T-T-E, Dash Violetta, V-I-O-L-E-T-T-A dot com, or visit our website, www.cornet-violetta.com. Mike, uh, as an architectural firm, a professional firm, uh, why don't you share with our audience how you guys go to market? Well, we really don't go to market in the traditional sense. Um, we work towards establishing long-term relationships with our clients, whether they be um, a commercial client who is more likely to be repeat business, um, as well as our residential clients who most likely will not repeat, but certainly we want have we want them 
to have that good feeling after we walk away from a project that will make it a lot easier for them to share our name, refer their neighbors and friends back to us. And either way, it's more of a relationship than actually a strategy for marketing. So your strategy is to build relationships? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, why do people buy from your firm? Because there are just a few architectural firms. No, there's only one or two, and you know we've got a lock on them. Actually, of course, that's not true. They buy from us um, because of the personal attention of the two principals, myself and Dean, mm -hmm. um, because of the the high quality of the projects that we produce, and I think mostly, and that's because everything's a commodity these days, we're a pretty good value. We are not the cheapest out there, but we don't want to be the cheapest out there, mm -hmm. but we, we are a good value for the price. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Uh, when I describe how uh, we are here at Sandler, I say to people that we're tough, expensive, and not for everyone. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for the cheapest sales training in Cincinnati, I'm not your guy. Exactly. But if you want the best, if you don't want to leave any money on the table, then we really should talk. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have any people in your organization that are totally dedicated as business developers? No. No, we don't. Just the principals? Just the principals, and they're architects first, and they're business development second. Mm -hmm. uh, just out of curiosity, in the, uh, the downturn 2010 to 2012, did you actually have to lay anybody off? Um, unfortunately, we did let two people go. Mm -hmm. And that was very difficult. Our people, we have a great core of employees that have been with us 10 years or more. Um, and obviously the ones who left um, were not there at that long. And it was difficult to let them go because we, we grow because of the, the dedication of our people. Mm -hmm. And every one of them has the best interest in the firm, the same as Dean and I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the marketplace today, uh, what do you see as the obstacles for growth? Uh, well, mostly it's the market. <laughs> Nobody is, well, very few people are building. And well, if you're building at Racinos. Uh, well, that's true. <laughs> it seems to be a boom in Racinos and Casinos. Yes, and those are those are the big boys out of Vegas, mostly, who are handling those those projects. Really? Yes, yeah. That's definitely some, some out-of-town talent. Which there's nothing wrong with. Mm -hmm. um, the other big obstacle, obstacle that we see is that people are more and more looking at an architectural service as a commodity as opposed to a value-generating process. Um, you can find a cheap architect anywhere, mm -hmm. and they will do a cheap price. I used to know a few of them. Mm -hmm. And you'll pretty, you know, I hate to say the old cliche, you'll get what you pay for, mm -hmm. but you'll, it will end up costing you more money in the field. And if you can offset that money by what you didn't pay the architect, great. And there are projects where a cheap architect is absolutely appropriate. But that's not what we want to do. And like I said, if that's what you're looking for, we're not the cheapest and we don't want to be. Mm -hmm. So you've been in business for how many years now? Um, 20. 20. What is your uh, strategic long-term planning process like? Well, we don't really have one of those either. Don't have one of those either? No. Running by the seat of your pants. Well, the seat of the pants as well as um, just building long-term relationships with clients. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and we're always looking to meet new clients, business owners, facility managers, developers, general contractors, um, anyone we can get next to and just create that relationship because you don't know, I don't know if they may need us a year from now, five years from now, and I don't know if they've got a friend or a business associate who may ultimately need us. Yeah, that, that, that's really what happens. Yeah, exactly. uh, you know, I was talking to uh, an 81-year-old client yesterday, and he, he's, he's talking about rebuilding certain sections of his home mm -hmm. and on one side. And the other side of his mouth, he's saying, Mike, I really have to sell the place. <laughs> <laughs> so at next week's uh, tip club meeting, it's going to be too late. So tomorrow I'm going to pick up the phone and call one of our Sandler residential real estate people and give them that lead. Fantastic. And to sort of hop on that bus, not necessarily the 81-year-old, but a lot of the residential clients we talk to have listened to someone tell them, oh, you've got to design for resale value. And in certain situations, that is correct. Mm -hmm. um, but in other situations, you're spending that money, you're going to wake up for the next 10 years, walk down to the kitchen and go, I love my kitchen. Mm -hmm. I did that. Spend the money because that's what you're going to live in. So, yes, resale is, is important, but you're spending the money on yourself. So do it right. I wish I could have that conversation with my wife about 10 years ago. <laughs> and see, now it would have paid for itself 10 years later. Because after 10 years, anything resale value is gone. Mm -hmm. Every every style has changed. Every desire has changed. Hot tubs used to be the big thing. Well, not so much anymore. So whatever what one of the people want, clawfoot bathtubs. Uh, some people, yes, but uh, you know, right now it's big walk-in showers that are maybe six foot by eight foot, oh. and you know, very trendy, very nice, mm -hmm. certainly comfortable, and uh, less so the big jacuzzi. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, what do you think the long-term opportunities and possibilities are for a mid-sized architectural firm like yourself? Well, certainly we're the zoo and the zoo clients represent a large portion of our work, and we're continuing to pursue other zoos. Like I said, we'd love to be in El Paso in a year. Um, but we're also looking to take that theming uh, concept that we've developed at the zoo. Mm -hmm. How do you make a, um, a restaurant in the middle of a zoo look like it's in the middle of Africa? That's mm -hmm. basically theming by appropriate materials, appropriate design. You can take that theming concept and you can apply it to a number of other um, entertainment venues, be it Kings Island, uh, Kentucky Kingdom, a number of those type of things. But we're also taking um, taking a good hard look at our commercial and residential business because zoos don't have money forever. No one does. And we, since we do not specialize, or like to say we don't specialize, um, obviously we need to spread ourselves out so that we can roll through the rough spots. Right. Uh, but there are probably 400 zoos in America. True. And there, you know, a lot of them already have architects that they're very happy with. Um, it's a difficult market to, to break into. There are probably three architectural firms in the United States 
that do have a dedicated zoo department or zoo, zoo design studio. Hmm. Uh, and they do zoos in Mumbai and um, Middle East and you name it. Oh. Um, That's really exotic. Yes, very exotic. We're more of a regional. We're, we're registered in Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, Tennessee. We're looking at uh, Pennsylvania registration. And, of course, if El Paso comes up, Texas registration. Okay. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, again, Mike has agreed to answer questions. The number is 646-595-4916. Uh, Mike, what is the most common thing in, in commercial? In, well, let me ask you a question a little differently. Uh, are people really looking for this LEED certification, L-E-E-D, in new commercial construction? <coughs> The only and maybe you can explain to the people what that means. Okay. It's leadership in energy and efficient design, something like that. Basically, it's making the most of the materials and of the mechanical systems and trying to reduce carbon footprint as well as energy consumption, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, can it really be done? Uh, to a certain degree, absolutely. Uh, can it be done... Cost-effectively, that's kind of a different story. Um, you know, I passed by that Mellink building along 275 with a windmill on the top or near the top of the, mm -hmm. <laughs> the property. Yes. It seems like a ridiculous idea. Um, he is probably the most hardcore um, lead or energy efficiency guy in the region, if not the United States. Uh, Steve Mellink, we actually worked with him putting the solar array panels above the parking lot in the Cincinnati Zoo. Mm -hmm. um, his building's fantastic. It's got solar, it's got wind, uh, supposedly uh, zero generation, so it's off the grid. Um, it comes with a cost. Are most clients interested in it? No. How heavy is the cost? You're going to add probably a good 15% or so to your construction cost. Only 15%. Yeah. Well, on a couple million dollar project, that tends to, to stack up real quick. Well, it's a lot better than a 50% Well, increase. it's a lot better, but then if you look at what your, uh, your payoff period is, mm -hmm. it's really not all that great. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, in the city of Cincinnati, you'll find um, residential projects get a 15-year tax abatement if they're LEED certified. Right. LEED for residential is different than LEED commercial. That's a, a lot easier to get. Um, LEED commercial, um, obviously the Cincinnati Zoo, everything we do there is LEED, mm -hmm. um, and that's their mission. Their mission statement is conservation. You'll see a building along 71 that is LEED certified, and they have the... That Red Cross building, is it? Uh, not the Red... Well, that one may be also, but further up... Um, I believe it's a Nyer property, and uh, they've got the big billboard, it's easy being green. It was really a marketing strategy. Mm. Um, whether or not they'd ever spend the money again, I really don't know. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. We're going to take a, uh, another commercial break here. Again, if you have a question for Mike, the number is 646-595-4916. Let's listen to a uh, couple of Sandler commercials. Imagine you just left your prospect's office and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! 
He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced sandless sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger, or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth and Mike Cornett. We're back, and Mike, are you, why don't you... Tell me honest what you think the prospects are in the architectural world. Are you thinking of adding any new employees this year, 2014? Actually, we're we're pretty busy right now. We're swamped, and we've got a, a young guy that is starting right now as a contractor, mm-hmm. super sharp, and we're looking to add him and potentially another architect by the end of the year. Okay. So um, the prospects are looking up a lot better than 08, 09. Okay. I've never visited you out at your your offices. Are you in your own building or rented space? Oh, we're in our own building. We bought a, um, a home of some hundred years old or so that had been converted into an office, and we kind of picked that up pretty cheap. I mean, it was a real good deal for us, and we've been in that building now for six years. So we've got our nice little off-street parking, and we're just north of downtown, so it's very mm-hmm. convenient. Okay, that's great. And you, you're inside of the zoning requirements? Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> okay. And let's ask you this question. We have a theory of operation here that simple solutions to complex problems are in, invariably wrong. Therefore, if you're going to master a complex problem, you need an equally complex solution to do that. Perhaps you could share with our audience a complex problem that you ran into as an architect and the equally complex solution you used to resolve that problem? Oh, that's a, that is a tough question. There. I've been accused of that many times. Yeah, it definitely put me on the spot. And again, I hate to uh, sound Good thing like... this is radio and they can't see you sweating. Exactly, or my face turning red. You know, again, I hate to go back to the whole zoo architect thing, but uh, I would say the entry village was by far the most complex situation we've ever been involved with. Um, Will it apply to others? I don't know. Um, But what you're trying to do is completely turn 
a campus around. So you're taking a campus and basically flipping it over. Well, we have to deal with temporary parking, mm -hmm. temporary pedestrians, mm -hmm. safety as a main issue, mm -hmm. which, of course, that falls more on the general contractor and the owner, but we still have to plan for it in, the, in our master planning. So during the construction phase, the zoo was still open? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Never closes. Well, but never closes, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and then dealing with four different funding sources, ODOT, ODNR, um, some Fed money, and, of course, private money. Every one of those funding sources have different requirements for construction, bidding. So we basically got four different projects running concurrently, all under a tight, um, fast-track timeline. Mm -hmm. So how long did the project construction actually take from the time you turned the first soil to the time it was turned over the zoo was completed? I think it was 15, 16 months. That's pretty darn good. It was phenomenal. We had great support from a fantastic owner. We had a great team of uh, contractors, subcontractors. Mm -hmm. All of those things go into a good project. The old school of the adversarial um, architect versus general contractor, that really has to go away uh, for a successful project these days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is your firm active in promoting uh, business on the Internet? Um, again, not really. We, we have a website, mm -hmm. but um, if you were to go and Google Cincinnati Architects mm -hmm. and find our name, that's a whole lot like, and again, aging myself, opening the yellow pages and going, well, let's call these guys. We're probably not going to do business with those people. If you go to cornetvioletta.com because a GC or a friend recommended you look at it with one or two other architects, great likelihood we're going to do business with you. Okay. The other thing we do on the Internet is both our Facebook page and our LinkedIn profiles, we update with uh, project progress as well as awards or just general information about what's going on in our profession. Good. So you'll have to put a link to this radio show on your webpage. Absolutely. Uh, do you buy uh, pay-per-click search terms from uh, Google AdWords? No, we don't. Mm -hmm. And are you doing search engine optimization? We haven't yet, and we haven't really had a need to yet. Again, a person who is going on the Internet for either an architect, and I, I don't want to compare us to attorneys, but for that type of professional service, if you're going on the Internet to find it, you're probably not the client that we're going to end up working with. Mm -hmm. Not that we're snobs, because we're not. Mm -hmm. But that's generally not how it happens. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just a few architectural firms in town. <laughs> and uh, there are many people who don't know how to compare architectural firms. Uh, perhaps you could give some tips uh, to people who are listening if they were looking for a high-performing architectural firm like yours. I think if, well, first of all, I would ask them, what is their project? What is their general budget? Are they looking at a $100 million downtown office building? then obviously there's a certain group of architects that are capable of pulling that off. Um, those are obviously not the projects we do. Um, if they're looking for something in the 2 to $10 million, hey, my business is doing great, I don't want to rent anymore, 
I want to go out and I want to build my own building and brand it, then I think, again, talk to some general contractors, talk to your friends, other business owners, find out who they've used, narrow it to three or four, and then sit down, and you're going to invest some time doing this, but you're also investing a tremendous amount of your own money, so it's, it's really good insurance. Sit down and spend time with them, ask them how their design process works, what they should anticipate as a, um, an architectural fee. Again, don't base everything on fee. Ask to see previous work mm-hmm. and ask to see what kind of cost controls have been put in place what happened with previous projects? Oh, in other words, I had a building that was budgeted at three and a half million dollars, and it came in at uh, four and a half million dollars. Uh, that happens more often than we like to admit in the architectural world. Mm-hmm. Um, there are firms out there that are known for being high, high design, and regardless of what the client asks for, they get what the architect wants to give them, mm. and that's that's not good business. You're not you're not listening to your client. You're not providing the service they want. Yeah, I I, I went crazy with these doorknobs, <laughs> commercial buildings. You're laughing because you know what I'm going to say next. Absolutely. You know, I want a doorknob. I go out to Lowe's or Home Depot, mm-hmm. and it costs uh, thirty forty dollars. Right. One of these architectural doorknobs costs three hundred dollars. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another hundred if you want to have a key in the lock. Yes. <laughs> and that's true. I mean, a lot of that is driven by the Americans with Disabilities Act. Sure. Everything's got to be levered. Door closers have to be set at a certain speed, a certain pressure um, or opening pressure. Um, you can get by, and I, I have a couple of clients who will get by using an inexpensive quick set lock. And then it's, it's do you want to put the money into capital or do you want to put your money into maintenance? Because that quick set lock is going to break in a year under heavy usage. Mm-hmm. So which budget do you want it to come out of? And that's the balancing, balancing act only an owner can, can answer. Right, right. Uh, well, I think that sometimes creativity uh, with architects. Mm-hmm. And they come up with uh, special stuff. We have, we're going to take another commercial break here. If you have a question for Mike, you can get through at 646-595. Four nine one six. Let's see if we can listen to a Sandler rule. Let's listen to Sandler rule number fourteen. Hi, I'm Bob Sinton of Sandler Training. I'm here today to talk to you about rule number 14. A prospect who is listening is no prospect at all. You may have heard this before, but Dave Sandler told me a long time ago that you should follow the rule called 70-30 rule, where the client talks or the prospect talks 70% of the time and you, the salesperson, talk 30% of the time. Most salespeople I run into in my 30 years of doing this understand that. The problem with it is how do you go about doing it? Well, most if not all salespeople know their features and benefits and the, uh, the power of what their company can provide clients. Um, so it's easy for them to uh, explain their features and benefits to a client. The problem with that is it doesn't necessarily elicit responses from a client. So what we have to train ourselves to do to be more successful and more professional is take your features and benefits 
and phrase it and structure it in such a way where it actually elicits a conversational response from your client. For example, a feature and benefit your company may, may uh, include, uh, you can reduce expenses and, and save them some overhead and, and save your clients some money in the uh, long term or short term. Well, a lot of people can say that. That's on your website. It's on your brochure. A more effective way is to say, hey, Ed, can I ask you a question? Uh, what we've done with companies and individuals like yourself is help save them money with some software that helps them reduce expenses, uh, get rid of waste, and adds more money to their bottom line. Uh, do you have anything like that happening here? And if so, can you tell me a little bit about it? Um, what that question does is it obviously elicits initially a yes or no response, but then it quickly goes down the tunnel of what I like calling a conversational uh, dialogue, if you will, between salesperson and client, and you find yourself talking only 30% of the time, and the client ends up talking 70% of the time, and that creates a, a more of a win-win relationship. And that's Sandler rule number 14, a prospect who is listening is no prospect at all. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Mike Cornett. Well, that uh, that last commercial break, the 70-30 rule, mm -hmm. it's actually what I was talking about without the title, listening to the client, not providing them the, the design you want to do, but actually listening to them mm -hmm. and giving them the service that they do need. You know, I, I used to kind of laugh. We've done some work in, in Sandler with some architectural firms, and they were so happy that they got to the short list and so upset that portions of their design wound up in the final design that was awarded to a different architectural mm -hmm. firm. <laughs> Just crazy. Yes, yeah. And I won't even talk about copyrights. So Mike, perhaps you could give up, you've been running your company for the past 20 years. Right. As a leader, perhaps you could share with other leaders a leadership tip, something they can use in their businesses. But I, typical small business attitude, uh, treat your people well and your clients even better, everything else will fall into place. That's a great tip. Well, thank you. We've heard some, uh, stuff like that before. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, that, that'll get edited into a compendium episode. All right. We finished uh, number one uh, for the first year of the show, and we're getting ready to start leadership episode number two. Uh, Sandler in 2014 is going to be bringing out a new leadership program, and I intend to put in some of the better ideas from the people uh, here in Cincinnati. As a leader, what mo motivates you to make tough decisions? That, that's a buzzword I hear a lot, uh, the whole tough decisions. Mm -hmm. um, I was involved with another group, and you know, they would emphasize that you're the guy in the front, and you're making the tough decisions. And I don't really know of a lot of tough decisions I have to make or any really tough decisions I well, have to make. Let me, let me back up with you. You've, you've shared with us that you do a lot of work with zoos. Mm -hmm. um, before you started doing zoos, how did you make the decision that you were going to get into the zoo market? Quite by accident. And typically, it's an experience that I gained from a previous employer, and that that experience was there, the ties with the client were there, and as that previous employer sort of moved out of the picture, we moved in. Mm. So there wasn't a strategic plan of, 
today we're going to go get zoos and next week we're going to go get office buildings. It was, a, as we like to say, a happy accident. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you must have known uh, Steve Haber. That's even further back, but yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I ran into him at the uh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati Rotary Club. Oh, okay. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners what you think uh, your people would say are the top three things about the culture of your firm? Oh, the culture. Corporate culture. Corporate culture? Uh, it's not corporate. That's the best thing about our culture. Mm -hmm. um, we are a very relaxed work environment. Uh, both Dean and I have worked in a situation in an office that was incredibly tense, and we decided that when we had our own company, it was not going to be like that. Um, our people know that we trust them, mm -hmm. and when we have a project due, all the hours go in that are required. But it is a very relaxed, pleasant atmosphere, and um, I think that's probably the, the best thing they would say about it. Okay, so you've created a relaxed atmosphere. Uh, you've been there 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, have you and your partner, Dean, discussed what a, an exit strategy might be for you guys? That's uh, actually a convenient question because we're in the process right now. Um, mm -hmm. We are looking at selling our company in the next probably seven-year range mm -hmm. uh, to, of our core, to two of our core employees, um, people who have been with us for in excess of 10 years, Okay. very dedicated, very knowledgeable, we're working presently at getting them more experience and more exposure to areas of work that traditionally Dean and I would only do, mm -hmm. um, and sort of opening that, that lock on the secret door of where all the money comes from and, and how the business end of it works. And typically architects are always kept in the quiet about that because they don't want to know how little they're being paid. Mm -hmm. um, so th th these are uh, serious long-term employees. Absolutely. You, you guys look at the as the next generation, even though they're not family. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And neither Dean nor I have anybody in our families that we could give the business to or sell the business to. Mm -hmm. So works out great. I think Len Benalmi in the, uh, did that upstairs in his architectural firm. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Lots of different things drive uh, CEOs like yourself, Mike. Uh, we've determined that, that three things are extremely important. Outlook, what your core beliefs are. Uh, desire, uh, what your passion for success is. And commitment, uh, doing whatever it takes to be successful. Uh, can you give us a little bit on each one of those th three? Outlook, desire, and commitment? Um, outlook core beliefs or core values, um, provide a good product at a, a reasonable price, mm -hmm. uh, be a good value to the client. Mm -hmm. um, our outlook is always, as the whole 70-30 rule said, you know, listen first, react second. If you're not listening, you're not doing a good job for your client, right. our outlook has always been to put our ego sort of in in the back on the back shelf and do what we're supposed to do as opposed to what we want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can, you can do what you want to do all day with your own money, but when it's somebody else's money, you have a lot more responsibility. Mm -hmm. That stewardship issue. Yes, absolutely. Right. 
Uh, earlier you shared that you don't really have a formal strategic long-term plan. Right. Uh, but do you and your partner, Dean, have a vision for where the company is going to be in five years or ten years? Um, we have always talked, and we bought this building, the building we're in, mm -hmm. with this in mind. We don't want to be any more than a ten-employee or a ten-person firm. Mm -hmm. That is the top end of where we want to be. We don't want to have a layer of management between the very top and the people actually doing the work. Mm -hmm. With 10 people, including myself and Dean, we can be involved in every project or at least be very knowledgeable about every project. And, and it's not like we're micromanagers, but when you lose that control of the project, you might as well be in a 100-person company and be in the slot where you are. Uh, you do job A, I do job B, and he does job C. We want everybody in our company to know what every aspect of the project is. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons that you decided to be a 10-person company, too. Absolutely. Anything above that, we feel we'll lose control. And not again, not micromanage control. Uh, involvement. Mm -hmm. We'll lose that level of involvement that's important to us. Mm -hmm. Lately in the, in the marketplace there have been uh, some notable mergers uh, in the accounting area mm -hmm. of the profession uh, where you know, some surprising things happened uh, just this week where Rippy Kingston and Patel and Patel from Dayton uh, merged. Mm -hmm. uh, is that kind of thing happening in the world of architecture as well? To a much lesser degree a much lesser degree. Um, again, most of the architectural firms out there, the large majority, are one and two guy kind of operations. Um, they don't have enough value for a large company to pick up unless they have a wonderful single client or a wonderful book of clients. And if, again, if you're a small one and two person firm, you don't really have that book. You sort of take things as they come. Um, and if you were lucky enough to have that one really wonderful client who's bringing in big dollars every year, then it's likely that you'll get absorbed. Um, the medium-sized firms, much less so. Generally, when uh, the partners retire, um, they don't get purchased, which is why we're trying to sell to our younger guys. Mm -hmm. um, they don't get pur purchased, and their people dissipate and either go start their own outfit or go to another firm of the same size or larger. When I was talking to a, a few owners of engineering companies, it seemed like they were moving towards uh, ESOP plans, employee uh, stock ownership plans, mm -hmm. where everyone in the, in the company would become, in quotation marks, a stockholder and owner of the company. Correct. Is that the type of plan that you're looking at? No, we're looking at sole ownership or, well, it would be a partnership with our two guys, um, but Dean and I moving off into the sunset. So mm -hmm. it, they would basically take the place of what we do today. Mm -hmm. And so that would be uh, seller financed? Uh, most likely. Most likely. I, the, the whole bank finance or buyer finance version is just not financially real or realistic. Um, Especially in small businesses. I rarely see it. Absolutely. And, you know, the the amount of payment that the buyers would have to come up 
above and beyond the value of the company no longer makes it a value that they would be interested in. Mm -hmm. So we're we're certainly slated towards some sort of seller financing. Mm -hmm. and, and the world of architecture, uh, in the value of the book of business, is it recurring revenue every year that you get from the, the guys that you designed something for last year, or is it uh, more of happenstance? Um, probably in our situation, 50-50. Mm 50-50? -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that that's worked well for us. And so again, in the world of zoos, you can count on a zoo developing a new lion exhibition. True. After they did a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Zoos, much like um, any other entertainment venue, they need to open something every spring, or they certainly try to open something every spring. They want to get that uh, that buzz generated mm -hmm. to get membership up, to get um, their walk-in up. Um, and you need something to draw the people in, something interesting, something new, something different. How many years in advance is uh, Cincinnati Zoo working? I'm not asking you to reveal what the, uh, the projects might be. Right. But how many years in advance have you seen stuff? Five. Five to seven. Five to seven years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we had, we've been working on the 10-year master plan for the last three years, so we know that there's work out there. Mm -hmm. And some of the goals, and I can't tell you what those are, even extend to the 15 to even probably 20 year. Really? That's mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. So they're better planners than I am. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a physical planner. I'm not a financial planner. Do most zoos uh, work that far out? I don't think most do. I think um, most will have certainly a five-year master plan, and mm -hmm. they will redo that every five years as part of their qualifications. Um, some take it seriously. Some don't. You know, it's like... Uh, I guess I went to two or three zoos last summer, uh, a bunch of oddball reasons, and it seemed like all three of them had giraffe feeding stations where the mm -hmm. zoo, zoo guests were elevated uh, 15 or 20 feet from the ground that the uh, giraffes were standing on. Yes, mm -hmm. that's a big one. Um, two, three years ago, it was feeding lorikeets, little birds. Um, <coughs> A little bit of coughing here. <coughs> We're back on the air now. Yep. So you said lorikeets. Mm-hmm. Little parakeet-type birds. Mm -hmm. um, there's certainly those trends that go through zoos, either regionally or or nationwide. Okay. Uh, Mike, I, I want to thank you for. Uh, being a guest on the show, I think we uh, we covered a lot of territory. Are there any uh, additional comments that that you want to add right now? Uh, I, I really don't know. Um, it's obviously it's been a pleasure being here, and I thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, you know, I I am not a MBA. I am not uh, big on the buzzwords. Um, I happen to be very lucky. Um, and, you know, I'd like to hope that that was partially intelligent, but I'm not going to discuss uh, or discount the happy accidents. And you know, I'm very happy with where I am and what we're doing. Good. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, as a token of appreciation, I'm going to be giving you this Sandler book, The Eleven Sandler Principles. Well, thank you very much. I see there's a million dollar uh Yes, there's a million bookmark. dollars. <laughs> 
Uh, we always help our clients make an extra million dollars in sales of business. And there there's a Sandler training calendar as well as a free pass. And you're more than welcome to uh, come to one of our classes either in the balance of this year or first part of next year. Uh, and again, uh, I want to thank you for uh, being on the show. And I'm going to ask Scott, take it away. Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513 753 9400.